morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning to those in the cafe. Good morning and those in the gym. Good morning. Great to uh, have you all here this morning. It's Good Friday. Man, what an amazing thing to celebrate uh, this morning. And I was thinking, too, that every Friday is a good Friday because of what he's done for us. And uh, we are truly uh, excited to, do, to celebrate uh, what he's done for us together. Uh, if you're here and you're visiting with us, we're grateful to have you along with us. Uh, in case you need a washroom during, it's uh, down the stairs, along the hall, up the stairs, and you will find, hopefully not a lineup, you'll find some washrooms uh, back there. Uh, and then afterwards, some came in today and were like, where's our cafe? Uh, we've moved it and improved it. So it is now out in the gym for Easter weekend, and uh, you don't want to miss it. If you haven't seen it yet, it is going to be, yeah, there you go, looking for coffee. It's in the gym. Uh, it's actually, don't, don't all run there now. Don't run there now. It is closed for this ceremony. Um, and then afterwards, ceremony. It'll be open afterwards. Feels like a wedding or something, right? You're all cut off until after. Uh, but we are, yeah, we're excited. So why don't we start with uh, just a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for the gift of today. Uh, what a beautiful day out there, and what a beautiful, uh, a, a beautiful thing to, to celebrate, just new life, what you've done uh, for us. Lord, we uh, slow down for a few minutes this morning to really contemplate and think about what you've done for us. Oh, the vastness of your love for us. Lord, I pray that for each of us here, in the building next door, watching online, that we would just experience your very presence. We know it's why you came. That you'd open the way for us to be with you. Lord, we desire that more than anything. And I pray that around this place that would be the, uh, the experience. Lord, that you'd be glorified in everything we say and everything we do. You are the reason we're here, Jesus. You are the reason. Glorify and honor your name today. Amen. Amen. Good Friday. How can one describe such a day? The wrongdoing of all humanity putting to an end an innocent man, the Son of God. This is the story of Jesus' death by way of a cross, all in one moment bringing death to the bright light of our future. He never stopped loving us, and yet this is the incredible part of it, our sin stopped his heart. Our sin drove the nails firmly in the hands of God. All along, these were the plans. We told ourselves that we were in control, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. The brutal beating, the inhuman flogging, the naked humiliation. Heaven watched and saw it all. Our rebellion, our guilt, our shame, erasing the very notion of reconciling us with God, our sin and our debt, overcoming Jesus. Here is our king, obliterated. The enemy laughing, his plans unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of freedom rising. Now God's people are utterly broken. Behold the chains of mortality. Yes, this is what is true. We had heard the stories of old, 
The lost are found, the blind can see, the weak are made strong. But now, we are witnesses to this reality. God is dead. We'd almost believed there is a way of redemption. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a peace beyond understanding. Now we know better. For us, we can say that God is encapsulated in this one realization. The single greatest sacrifice in human history is finished. How clearly we can see it. So what's so good about Good Friday? Just one thing. That the blood of Jesus can reverse the curse of sin and raise the dead to life. How clearly we can see it is finished. The single greatest sacrifice in human history encapsulated in this one realization. We can say that God is for us. Now we know better. There is a peace beyond understanding. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a way of redemption. We had almost believed God is dead, but now we are witnesses to this reality. The weak are made strong. The blind can see. The lost are found. We had heard the stories of old. Yes, this is what is true. The chains of mortality utterly broken. Behold, freedom rising. Now God's people are unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of the enemy laughing. His plans obliterated. Here is our King, Jesus, overcoming our sin and our debt, reconciling us with God, erasing the very notion of our rebellion, our guilt, our shame. Heaven watched and saw it all, the naked humiliation, the inhuman flogging, the brutal beating, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. We told ourselves that we were in control. All along, these were the plans firmly in the hands of God. Our sin drove the nails. Our sin stopped his heart. And yet, this is the incredible part of it. He never stopped loving us. The bright light of our future all in one moment, bringing death to death by way of a cross. This is the story of Jesus, the Son of God, an innocent man putting to an end the wrongdoing of all humanity. How can one describe such a day? Good Friday. Yeah, I don't know about you this morning, uh, but I'm definitely grateful for what he's done for us. He's worthy of our praise. So why don't you stand with us this morning? We're going to sing, whether it's here, it's in the, in the gym. Let's sing our house, hearts out for him.
we think of uh, this amazing grace shown to us. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Who breaks the power of our sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty, is so much stronger. The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes? Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless? In awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King of all kings. It's you, Jesus. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross.
So we think of that cross and what you've done for us. Mm. Your grace truly is amazing. The sun stops shining. So you're a king, are you? The Roman soldiers jeered. Ah, oh, then you'll need a crown and a robe. They gave Jesus a crown made out of thorns and put a purple robe on him and pretended to bow down to him. Oh, your majesty, they said. Then they whipped him and spat on him. They didn't understand this was the Prince of Life, the King of Heaven and Earth, who had come to rescue them. The soldiers made him a sign, Our King, and nailed it to a wooden cross. They walked up a hill outside the city. Jesus carried the cross on his back. Jesus had never done anything wrong, but they were going to kill him the way criminals were killed. They nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, Jesus gasped. They don't understand what they're doing. You say you've come to rescue us, people shouted. You can't even rescue yourself. But they were wrong. Jesus could have rescued himself. A legion of angels would have flown to his side if he'd called. If you were really the Son of God, you could just climb down off that cross they said. And of course they were right. Jesus could have just climbed down. Actually, he could have just said a word and made it all stop, like when he healed that little girl and stilled the storm and fed 5,000 people. But Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. Papa! Jesus cried, frantically searching the sky. Papa, where are you? Don't leave me! And for the first time, and the last, 
when he spoke, nothing happened. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He turned away from his boy. Tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of the one who would wipe away every tear from every eye. Even though it was midday, a dreadful darkness covered the face of the world. The sun could not shine. The earth trembled and quaked. The great mountains shook. Rocks split in two until it seemed that the whole world would break. The creation itself would tear apart. The full force of the storm of God's fierce anger at sin was coming down on his own son instead of his people. It was the only way God could destroy sin and not destroy his children whose hearts were filled with sin. Then Jesus shouted out in a loud voice, It is finished! And it was. He had done it. Jesus had rescued the whole world. Father, Jesus cried, I give you my life. And with a great sigh, he let himself die. Strange clouds and shadows filled the sky, purple, orange, black, like a bruise. Jesus' friends gently carried Jesus. They laid Jesus in a new tomb carved out of rock. How could Jesus die? What had gone wrong? What did it mean? They didn't know anything anymore, except they did know that their hearts were breaking. Ah, that's the end of Jesus, the leaders said. But just to be sure, they sent strong soldiers to guard the tomb. They hauled a huge stone in front of the door to the tomb so that no one could get in or out. That never gets old for me. That simple, childlike understanding of what Jesus has done for us. You know, we celebrate Good Friday every year. And I think the danger for us can be that familiarity with, oh, we know the story. Uh, I was talking with some people the other night, and they're like, man, it must be difficult to preach like Easter. You know, if, you preach, if, you're, if you're pastoring for 40 years and you've got to come up with 40 different perspectives of the Easter story... And some of you, you know, this is the only time you come to church is uh, on the weekend. You think we only have two stories. He was born, he died. But there's so much more to that story. And I think some of the time, the familiarity with it for us allows us to forget what it's really all about. And this is not, uh, this is, this is, well, this is the greatest story ever told and telling it every day of the year should never get old. And so as I was preparing for today, I was reminded of when I used to play hide-and-seek as a kid. Any kids play hide-and-seek? Yeah, and there's always the kid counting. What does the kid counting say right before they go looking for everybody else? Ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, here I come. Yeah, exactly. 
You know, are there, there are certain things that happen in our lives, whether we're ready or not. Like, for instance, our birth. You know, it's like for our moms, ready or not, here we come. Like, we're coming. Like, I, I was born in, in July 2nd of 1977. I, was asking, I remember asking my mom as a kid, couldn't you have held me in for five more days? Because then I would have been born on 7777, and it would be like the perfect child, the perfect number. She just looked at me like, kid, you have no idea. I wanted you out like weeks before that. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Ready or not, here they come. Same with uh, teenagers, you know, as you have these beautiful little children. They become teenagers, ready or not, it's going to happen, and it's great. You know, snowstorms, ready or not, they happen. But here's the one that happens for every one of us. It's death. Ready or not, it's coming for all of us. You know, we're going to all meet our maker one day, face to face, ready or not. You know, it's not God who needs the warning today to say, hey, God, ready or not, I'm going to be coming there someday. And he knows all about us. He knows that moment, that day of our life. But we need it. We need to live with that reminder that ready or not, we will meet him face to face. There's something about face to face, isn't it? When you talk with somebody face to face. Like, texting's cool because you can just get back to them whenever you want to, but it's not the same. Hearing somebody talk to them on the phone, you hear their voice, and it's like, yeah, it's not the same. FaceTime's great, but it's not the same. There's something about when you meet somebody and you have a conversation face-to-face with them that is just different. And I ask every person in the room today, watching online, have you, have you considered what it's like going to be like to meet God face-to-face? Have you really thought of that? The God of the universe, the God of creation. I'm going to meet him face to face. What is that going to be like? You know, I remember uh, back in the day at a youth conference, there was this kid, I'm pretty sure his name was um, Asif. Asif was, um, uh, he, he, at this youth conference, he would just run around to everybody, had no inhibitions at all. He would just run up to people and be like, hey, do you know we're going to meet him face to face? And uh, we're like, what? He's like, face to face. We're going to meet him face to face. And as youth, you're like, uh, okay, see you later, right? Like, this isn't cool. But I only met Asa for a couple of days, decades ago, and it sticks with me to this day. His excitement that he was going to meet Jesus face-to-face and was like, wanted everybody to know, we're going to meet him face-to-face, face-to-face. And I thought about Paul. Paul had similar excitement as he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13. He said this in verse 12, we now see in a mirror dimly, but then... Face to face. We have these ideas of who God is and we see it. It's dim, but man, we're going to see him face to face. Now I know in part, but then I'm going to know just as I am known. And he's looking forward with full anticipations. It's a bit dim now, but, but then we know in Philippians, he's like, man, I, f- I want to fully experience knowing him that I might know him and know him more. It's reminded of an old song, a song written by a woman named Helen Lemmel. She was born in 1863. She wrote this tune in 1918. It's over 100 years old. It's based on some of those thoughts that were in a track, but it goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. You know it? The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And you think about those words. You think, man, what, what does that have to do with Good Friday? Can you imagine? Can you imagine being there that day and looking full into the wonderful face of Jesus on the cross? You're like, wait, wonderful? 
Man, we think about crucifixion, and man, you think about, man, like if I had to look into his face, you almost wince just thinking about it. Like we have artist renderings of what crucifixion looked like, but they're way too clean. They're sanitized. They, they, don't, they don't put those, the, the, what, what reality would be, they don't put that up on, on a wall somewhere or on a church, uh, inside on a piece of art in a church. We don't get to see what it really looked like. You know, The Passion, the movie uh, that Mel Gibson made a number of years ago, gives us a better idea of what it looked like. I was talking with some of the youth as they saw just some of the clips of that movie this week. And one of them said to me, like, it's like I, didn't, I didn't realize what actually happened to him. I didn't, I didn't realize it was that bad. I wonder if we'd even be able to look. You know, C.S. Lewis, Beth and I were chatting about, she was telling me about how there was no songs written about crucifixion until a, a generation had passed after crucifixions had ceased. Nobody back then would sing about a crucifixion. We use those words and sing about it sometimes, but, we, but the ones who had seen it couldn't sing of it. You know, Isaiah prophesied 700 years earlier of what it would look like when the Savior was, was uh, condemned and was crucified. In Isaiah 53, he wrote this, He's despised, he's rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Isaiah would say different. He'd say, no, the opposite, man. If we had to see, we would, we can't face that. How could we? And I think a fair question is, why must we? Why must we? You know, Jesus met with a Jewish religious leader when he was walking the planet late one night. And they talked about some of the old stories, the old Jewish stories, and they talked about one in particular. The people of Israel had been bitten by these snakes, and they were dying, and God had told Moses, Moses, set up this bronze snake, put it on a pole, and just put it up high, and just tell the people, if you get bit by a snake, you just look at that pole, and you'll be healed. You won't die of that snake bite. And as Jesus and Nicodemus are having this conversation, he, he brings Nicodemus up to speed on why he's there. And he says this in John 3. He says to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, Nicodemus, even so the Son of Man, meaning himself, is going to be lifted up. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him or looks to him, it's that same thought, would never perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn it, but but that the world through him might be saved. He's correlating those two things. Nicodemus, whoever looks at the sun when he's been put up on that pole, whoever puts their trust in the sun, just like they put their trust in that, in that serpent, that if they looked at him, if they would turn their eyes to it, they would be saved. You know, A.W. Tozer talks about in his book that that's a description of faith. That's all faith is. Faith is just simply turning our eyes to Jesus. You know, the reality of Good Friday, it's a harsh reality when you think about it. Because when we turn our eyes to his face on the cross, we realize he wasn't there for his sin, but mine. That it was my sin that required that kind of sacrifice. That it should have been my face on that cross, and yet it was his. It was his. You know, it's admitting, it's admitting that my sin does deserve punishment. And we live in a culture right now that just downplays sin. It's just not that bad. 
Not only is it not that bad, let's celebrate, let's accept everything. There's no such, let's get rid of this thing called sin. But we may get rid of it in our tone. We may get rid of it in our vocabulary, but we have not gotten rid of it. We have not gotten rid of it, and it still requires a sacrifice. Think of the line of that song. You know, when you think about death, the things of earth grow strangely dim. If you've been to a funeral or lost somebody, isn't it true? Like, what you're wearing just doesn't matter in that moment. You think about, you know, like your retirement, your success, and your job just doesn't matter when you're faced with devastating loss. Sometimes people have to be reminded to eat because they just aren't thinking about anything else. Everything else grows dim. And we set our faces on him, the thought of his death, the same thing happens in our life. We start realizing what good is it if we've gained the whole world if we're not right with him. If I'm going to face him face to face, that's the only thing that's going to matter, and the rest doesn't. John 12, Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, he says, I'm going to draw men to myself. And he said it to indicate how he's going to die. He's telling his disciples, I'm going to be lifted up on a pole just like that snake, but the reason is I'm going to draw people. And there's an inner drawing. There's an inner longing in every single one of us, an invitation to come and look, an invitation to turn our eyes on him. And my question across this room is, do you feel him drawing you today? Maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord, and you feel like, oh man, yeah, I do. I hear his voice. I, I feel something drawing me. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord, and you're just sort of here today, and you thought, oh, I'm just going to go take in a nice service. And yet now it's like, oh man, I feel something more than just this. I feel, I feel there's a, a drawing here. Or maybe you're a Jesus follower. Man, that drawing never stops. That drawing is this not one time, but this continual drawing to turn our eyes on him. That as we run the race of faith, it would be that our eyes were looking to him. Jesus prayed and said in John 17 that this is eternal life, to know him, to know him, to know the source of life. And that requires us to come to the terms with this day, Good Friday, that he would lay down his life for me. He'd lay it down. You know, Jesus made it clear to his disciples that is indeed what he came to do. John 10, he says, The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I might take it back again. No one takes my life from me. I'm sacrificing it voluntarily. I'm doing this for you. He says, I have authority to lay it down when I want to and also take it up again because this is what my Father's commanded. In John 15, he tells his disciples, There's no greater love than that someone would lay down their life for their friends. It's just what he did. You know, actually, Mark confirms this with a really interesting detail about the crucifixion. Mark 15, it says that Pilate, Pilate, the one who was, you know, very familiar with the long, arduous, torturous death of crucifixion. Pilate, that guy, he says this. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead when he, when, when he was um, asked for the body. And so he called a Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. And the officer confirmed that Jesus was dead. And so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. What does it say? Pilate was surprised. He's like, crucifixion didn't take him. Pilate didn't take him. He just voluntarily said, now's the time. And he laid his life down. Around that cross that day, there were lots of people witnessing it. There was lots of people witnessing what happened. But there were also people who were looking. Not just, oh, not just seeing what was happening. They were looking to Jesus in the way that he had said. There was a criminal on the cross who hung next to him. Not just looking over physically. He said, Jesus, save me. I'm turning my eyes to you as my Savior. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me 
in paradise. The centurion at the foot of the cross as Jesus gave up uh, his spirit and all that stuff happened. It's the centurion who looks up and says, surely this was the son of God. And John had testified a few years earlier, look, it's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we wrap up this portion today. I think it's really important for us to think about this. The truth is that we will all face him someday. It's not a sermon title or a talk. It's a reality. We, you, me, we're going to face him someday. Ready or not. The good news today is that we can be ready. Because here's the thought. Those who will turn to face the face of Jesus on that cross will find a face of love looking back at them. We'll find a face of sacrifice, a face of mercy, a face of forgiveness that breathes those words over you. Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. Father, forgive them. Their eyes are turned to me. But then there will also be those who refuse to turn their face to him here and will face him one day in eternity when they meet him and they will find a different face. They will find a face of righteousness and a face of truth, a face of justice and right judgment. Looking at them with that that pity, that that thought that, man, I wish it wasn't going to be this way. But there is no choice but to judge the sin that you still carry. You know, John actually writes about it in his letter. We call it the book of Revelation, where he sees what it's going to look like in the end. And he he describes it this way. He says there'll be, two, there'll be two groups of people. There's those who face him with great joy, great wonder, great awe, great celebration. You read Revelation 4, he describes a throne room and how there is just this celebration of who he is and this desire to know him more. God, reveal yourself more to me. I just can't, can't get enough. And just two chapters later in Revelation 6, he says there will be those who are forced to face him and they're filled with regret. Let me read it to you. That it says this in Revelation 6, 15. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, <coughs> the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, every slave and free person, they all hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. This is he's talking about the end of time when everyone faces him. Verse 16. They cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who's able to survive? Man, those are powerful thoughts, powerful words. Which one am I? Which one are you? Are you ready to face him or not? I can tell you this. You'd be like, I don't know. Well, you can know today because our response to him then is actually determined by our response to him now. Our response and what it will be then is actually determined on the decisions we make now. Those who would say, I turn away from pride, selfishness, self-seeking sin, and I turn my eyes to Jesus, to you as my Savior, recognizing that it's my sin that held you there, and Jesus, I repent and admit I need a Savior, and I'm living my life for you. Man, I'll live for the one who died in my place they will only look upon an incredible Savior one day. Those who refuse that will look into those other eyes one day. That's my question around this room, whether you've been to church a lot or not, 
is have you turned your eyes on Jesus? Do you need to give your life to Christ today? Do you honestly need to say, you know what? <laughs> I don't know what I've been doing, but it wasn't that. Jesus, I turn my eyes. I feel you drawing me today. And to turn your eyes to look towards him. And I would say this to the rest. Jesus followers, it's not a one-time thing. It is that continual call in our lives. Good Friday calls us to turn away from looking towards self to those things that always want to draw us away and just continually back to looking on him, looking on him. Because maybe today you're here and you call yourself a Christian, but you're living in like unrepentant sin. You are. You think, oh, you're getting away with it because nobody's confronted you or nobody said anything. You're like, oh, man, it must be okay. But deep down here, you know it's not. You know it's not. And I think it's important for us to heed the words of the writer to the Hebrews as we close this time. Hebrews 10, verse 26 says this. He writes saying, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we receive knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will over or consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment would be for those who've trampled the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Some would say, Mark, I brought friends. I thought this was going to be a nice sermon. Man, we don't need nice sermons. We need a life-changing Savior. We need to come face-to-face with who we really are, where our sin has brought us, and say, no, 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 no more. I'm going to turn my eyes to Jesus, to the one and only one who can save me, because that is why it is Good Friday. Because of what he's done, we can meet him face to face. Not only that, we can come before him today, entering his throne room to find mercy and grace in our time of need because we're going to need it. But it's when we turn our eyes upon Jesus. Can we pray? Father, just think about these thoughts this morning. I know what they mean for me. I know how you speak. Speak to each person as an individual, not a crowd. And Lord, as we sense you in our spirits and our hearts this morning, we hear your words in our, in our heads and in our minds. Lord, would you uh, allow us to courageously take whatever step you're calling us to. For those here today who don't know you, Lord, as they by faith just turn their eyes to see you, to look towards you, to begin that journey of pursuing you. God, would you save them today? Lord, and for those of us who follow you, we feel the call again to just turn our eyes to you. Oh, Jesus, you are good. As we think about your face on that cross, we're grateful, grateful for your forgiveness, grateful for your mercy, grateful that you would love us, truly grateful. Lord, when the distractions come, may we just be reminded once again to turn our eyes toward you to remember the great cost that you paid for our lives. May we live our lives in response to that, to your goodness, to your grace, to your salvation, to your mercy, to your love. May we be living sacrifices, living our lives to see you praised and glorified and made known in our world that they might be ready to meet you one day face to face.
pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Singing out the truth of these thoughts. Today, if you're here and you know that's you, you need to give your life to Jesus. Would you come up after and just talk to one of us? We'd love to pray with you, no matter what it may be. We're, we know, we know. But why don't you stand with us as we sing that hymn, that song together? More than just singing, would we just do that this morning? Say, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's sing one more time. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know the truth today that death was arrested. As we sing these words out, there's a story for each and every one of us. Say alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. I was lost without hope, no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested in my Say ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. And my orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. Sing your grace.
truth of today. See our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. And darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. Oh man, the truth. freedom because of what he's done. Keep your eyes on him. Have a fantastic day. The cafe is open in the gym. Let's go join those folks over there. There's tons of food, tons of coffee. Even brought in Tim Hortons for today. Special times. Grab something to go if you want, but man, look forward to hanging out there for a bit. See you soon.